we finish chapter 1 and 2, to remind you Hosea is the last prophet to prophesy before the exile of the northern kingdom. So a lot of what he says has to do with the northern kingdom. Hosea is told by God to take a prostitute for a wife. That obviously is a metaphor for Israel being a prostitute. So he's had three children with her at this point. So now we're down to chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a latach of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So he goes down and buys her from the marketplace. She has strayed to the point where she has put herself up for sale. And he goes and redeems her, which is kind of an interesting picture of us. Because as we are going through our lives, we very often put ourselves up for sale. And Yeshua is the one who then redeems us. Most of us are by no means very faithful. Verse 4. For the children of Israel shall draw many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now, in this particular letter, Israel refers to the northern kingdom because he'll talk about Israel and Judah separately. So we're talking about the northern kingdom here. And what he's saying is they are going to be exiled. So for many days, they are not going to have all the trappings of being Israelites. They're not going to have temples. They're not going to have sacrifices or any of that kind of stuff because they're going to be sent off into exile. And then a long time in the future, they will return. And I find it interesting, they, and seek the Lord their God and David their king. We were talking about the millennial temple in Ezekiel. And the idea there was there's two regents in that temple. One is what I believe to be Yeshua, and then the other one is a secular king who is described as David. And so I personally believe that that is David resurrected from the dead. And he's resurrected and he is again made king over Israel. So the idea here in Hosea that they will once again seek the Lord their God and David their king, I see as a reference to the millennial reign in Ezekiel. Because at the point this is being written, David has been dead for quite a while. Chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, 
even the fish of the sea are taken away. So he's talking about Israel again, the northern kingdom. He is cataloging their sinfulness. One of the things that it says in Deuteronomy is that the condition of physical Israel, the land itself, is a function of the conduct of the people of Israel. So when the people of Israel are walking with God and doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, obviously it doesn't mean that nobody sins. It means that the nation itself is behaving more or less righteously. When that happens, no armies invade. They get rain at due season. The flocks increase, etc. So what God is saying here, or the prophet is saying here, is Israel has fallen into such a state that the land itself mourns and all who dwell in it languish and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens. So the idea here is with drought and all of the consequences of Israel behaving badly, not only do the people suffer, but the land and the animals and the birds and everything else that lives on that land suffers because Israel is not doing what they're supposed to do. Now down to verse 4. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. Okay, now he's shifting. In the previous paragraph, he's talked about Israel in general, and now he's going to talk specifically to the leadership, the priests. So let no one contend, and let no one accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. The Tanakh's translation of that is, I will destroy your relatives. The, the actual Hebrew is mother. So what he's saying is, the priests and the prophets, the ones who are supposed to interpret God to the people and are supposed to interpret the Torah, aren't doing their job, and so he is going to cause them to stumble. Now verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So if you remember from Leviticus, and I'm in Leviticus 10 now, the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all my statutes that the Lord has spoken to you by Moses. What God is saying to Aaron here is, this is your job as a priest. You're supposed to distinguish between holy and common. We've talked about that before. Common doesn't mean bad. In other, tra other translations, if you have King Jimmy, is maybe holy and profane. And all that means, is, profane means is common or ordinary as opposed to something set aside for God. So you're supposed to distinguish between those. And you're also supposed to distinguish between the clean and the unclean, or to whore and to my. And I've said this lots of times before, but it's worth repeating. Holy and profane, and to whore and to my, or clean and unclean, are on two separate axes. So something can be holy and unclean. Let's say you dedicate your donkey to the Lord. So that donkey then becomes holy, set aside for the uses of God. That donkey, however, is not a clean animal. 
and setting them aside does not make him a clean animal. So Tahor and Tamai is one axis, and holy and profane is a different axis. And so things can be anywhere in those four quadrants. So in verse 6, where he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and it says, Because you have rejected knowledge. Okay, the priests have rejected knowledge. In other words, the priests are not doing what they're supposed to do. They are not teaching Tahor and Tamai, and they are not teaching holy and profane. And because of that, the people are falling into error out of ignorance. So now down to verse 7. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory to shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. This one is a bit difficult. The more they increased, who's they? The priests. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. That's straightforward. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. The idea here is when the people are bringing lots of offerings, the priests prosper because the priests get part of that. So the temptation then is they feed on the sin of the people. The more sinful the people are, the richer they become. Hence, there's this temptation to make a whole bunch of things sinful. The priests, through regulations, oral Torah interpretations, find more and more stuff to be sinful, so more and more sin offerings get brought, and so the priests increase more and more. All right, we're all the way down to verse 9. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. So what he's saying is people and priests will be treated alike. The priests are have a racket of setting up punishment for the people. What God is saying is, I'm going to treat you the same way you treat the people. In other words, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Verse 10, they shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. The idea here is he is going to make it so that sin, even though it continues, is not satisfied. So verse 10 again, they shall eat but not be satisfied, they shall play the whore but not multiply, which is to say they will have intercourse but will not have offspring. Then he's talking in verse 12 about idolatry. My people inquire of a piece of wood. As you do things that God says not to do, your understanding diminishes, which isn't to say that you suddenly curl up and go catatonic because you can't function anymore. You function just fine but you don't function with understanding. And you don't function in a way that ultimately is pleasing either to you or to God. Verse 12 and 13 are idolatry, and I want to get down to about 13 and a half. Therefore, your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. Since you have committed whoredom with me, in other words, you, Israel, have not been a faithful wife, 
because of that, your own physical daughters will also not be faithful and your own physical wives will not be faithful. The spiritual seeds you are sowing of infidelity are not just between you and me, but they will now go throughout your physical family. Verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Okay, well now remember we started off, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So what he's saying is, there are strictures in Scripture for someone who is a harlot, who is unfaithful. And what God is saying here is, I am not going to exercise those passages. So, for example, you all know numbers. You have the law of the Sota, where you have a wife who is suspected of adultery by her husband. And there is a procedure in Torah whereby she may clear her name and get rid of the spirit of jealousy. So what God is saying is, you know all these passages in Scripture where I get involved in marriages between man and a woman? I'm not going to do that anymore. So I'm not going to punish your wives for their adultery because you men are every bit as adulterous. All the way down to verse 15. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to beth and swear not as the Lord lives. Israel is the one that's primarily being addressed here. Judah is going to be talked about in a, in a few minutes. Now, enter not into Gilgal. Gilgal, you remember, is the place where they camped when they crossed the Jordan River. It's the place where the generation of the wilderness circumcised themselves before they went into the land. beth is Bethel. beth means house of wickedness because the northern kingdom put the golden calf at Bethel. Remember, they had two golden calves, one at Bethel in the south, one at Dan in the north. And because they put the golden calf at Bethel, God refers to it now as beth which is house of wickedness. And swear not as the Lord lives. So you have two things now. Gilgal is representative of circumcision, I believe. And then beth is representative of idol worship under the name of worshiping God. Because you all remember from the, from the wilderness where the golden calf, the children of Israel thought that they were replacing Moses with that calf. They did not think they were doing idolatry. God did. And so God sent Moses down and, he, and explained it to them. Well, so here they've done the same thing. Circumcision and idol worship in the name of worshiping God. Now that's different from idol worship where you go up on a green hill in a, in a bower, you know, and worship a totem pole. There, there is no pretense whatsoever of worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're worshiping Baal or Ishtaroth or Ashtaroth or, you know, one of those guys, you know, just straight up going into idolatry. At beth or Bethel, the people actually were convinced that they were worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't. I'm not doubting you, I just don't remember. Yeah, the only thing I remember about Gilgal is that's where they circumcised themselves. Yeah. 
And, and, and the reason I think that's what it is, is you have Gilgal circumcision, Beth-Avon, worship of an idol, thinking you're worshiping God, and then swearing as Jehovah lives. So these are all expressions, if you will, of Israel doing the right thing, quote-unquote. Verse 16, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed him like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone and they give themselves to whoring, their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. The idea here in this last three verses is Ephraim is gone. They have wholly given themselves over to idolatry, and they also have given themselves over to unbridled drink, and when they run out of wine, they give themselves over to whoring, and their rulers dearly love shame. And then verse 19, a wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifice. I take that to be, and this is Johnnyology, they are about to be swept away by Assyria. And so I am taking that to be a poetic way of saying a wind the Assyrians have swept through there and taken them away. Could be something else, but that's what occurs to me. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. All right, so we're talking about the priests, the kings of the house of Israel. For the judgment is for you, for you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. That is impossible to understand. If you read it in the Hebrew, it's it's somewhat different. And the Revised Standard Version is the closest one to the actual Hebrew, and that does make sense. So I'm going to now read you from the Revised Standard Version, but if you have a, a, an interlinear, interlinear Hebrew Bible, you can get it from there too. But I'm reading now from the Revised Standard. Hear this, O priest. Give heed, O house of Israel. Hearken, O house of the king. For the judgment pertains to you. You have been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread upon Tabor, and they have made deep the pit of Shittim but I will chastise all of them. That, to me, makes more sense, because in every case, what we're talking about is snares. So you have a snare at Mizpah, a net at Tabor, and then a deep pit at Shittim. Those are all consistent. And by the way, that reading follows the literal Hebrew. So it makes sense to me. So now what are we talking about? Who's... Who's being spoken to, first off? Priests, Israel, and the leadership. So what we're talking about here is the leadership of Israel. And Tabor, for those of you who don't remember, is a mountain in the Jezreel Valley. It is in the northern kingdom. Mizpah, there are several Mizpahs. All it means is tower. So this is probably a a tower in, in the north. And then they have made deep the pit of Shittim. Shittim is the place on the far side of the Jordan where Israel rallied just before they crossed the Jordan River under Joshua. 
They camped there at Shittim after the destruction of the two kings on the eastern bank. And then that's where they got organized and got ready to cross the Jordan River. Shittim is part of the northern kingdom because you remember the east bank of the Jordan was given over to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So it is not part of Judah. So the idea then that you have snares or traps or tripwires or whatever you want to call them set at Shittim, Tabor, and Mizpah somewhere else sort of indicates that the leadership is conspiring to snare the people of Israel. And that's what we've been talking about all along, where the priests are getting fat and profiting from the sin offerings. The leadership of Israel has no moral core, and we'll just go after what feels good at the moment. So that reading of this, I think, is consistent with what we have had up until now. Would somebody like closing prayer? Let us shine.